Um, but we know uh, currently uh, the debate kind of going on around the place and what's coming up uh, with the postal vote regarding same-sex marriage. And um, this is not a, a, a political uh, sermon. Um, it's probably not even a sermon, just more kind of a conversation. I felt it's, it's, it's a significant enough conversation that's happening uh, in our culture today that it's just good for us to, as a family, um, kind of have that conversation. And uh, um, again, I'm not here to make kind of definitive points or positions on things. Um, I'm okay if you disagree with my, my position on certain things or, or the points that I'm making. Um, but I do think it's important that as the body of Christ and as we understand our role in society and also what isn't our role in society, that we know how to respond and how to love well. Because that's the, the greatest command for us is to love the Father, love God, um, but also to love people. And so the, the first response when it comes to uh, homosexuality or same-sex marriage is the question of, well, how do we love well? Uh, that's point number one. How do we love the Father well? And so not to diminish uh, God's heart for people, um, but also then how do, we, how do we love then people well that, that we would disagree with or might, who might disagree with us? Um, and the reality is that the church's role in society and the, and the way that Jesus established the church was never to be the governing political body uh, in the world. Uh, it became that, you know, several hundred years after the time of Jesus. But, you know, even the disciples would ask Jesus, you know, like, when are you going to, like, take over the government, Jesus? And when are you going to do these things? Like, they were expecting a Messiah that would come and govern society like a king in the natural would. But Jesus' response was, well, my, my kingdom's not of this world. <laughs> and, and the disciples kind of continued to not really get it. And so you can imagine um, their confusion when that king, the coming Messiah, is hanging on a cross, um, being crucified. Uh, but Jesus knew and, and he spoke of the kingdom being like leaven, which gets kneaded into, a, uh, into, a, into dough and all of a sudden gets kind of spread through. But really, that's our role in society is to, is to be cultural infiltrators um, but not in the place of political or even religious power. We're not supposed to be in the, in the governing power position. And, and this is the reality, and I've talked a lot about this from a, what I believe is a kingdom perspective. Um, we'll have people in government, you know, there'll be people who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm in this a position of influence in business, in education, in those different ways. But just because somebody comes into a governing role that has a particular set of values doesn't mean that everyone that follows them or is underneath them hierarchically carries those same values. But ultimately, that's the church's role is to set the values of a culture and to, and to take a stand. And, and really, when it comes to the same-sex marriage vote and the debate that's going on, um, we're not here to be, well, no, we, we should set the moral agenda of society. Okay? We're not in terms of that governing role. But the reality is we are members of a society, of a democratic society, that we do have a voice and we do have a vote in this uh, instant, even though it's not voting. We're, we're, you're putting, if the postal vote goes through, it's, you're putting forth your perspective on it, um, whether you think it's the right thing or the wrong thing or a yes or a no. So we do have a voice, and it's important that we voice our voice. Otherwise, we, you know, so we don't pull back from uh, the opportunity that we have to, to put forward our opinion and to voice that in whatever way we see fit. But it's important to understand that ultimately, regardless of the outcome of this vote, we still have the same role and position in society, which is to shape culture as leaven. Okay, not as the loaf. We're the leaven, not the loaf. Okay, 
And so to, to do it as leaven, and it's kind of like, I think of it as, it's like ninjas, you know, uh, and we just kind of go about, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, you, you don't see a ninja till it's too late. Um, but we're so, you know, we, we're kingdom ninjas there, and that's not in a, yeah, but uh, like it's just to, to set the culture in that kind of way. And the fact is that the reality that, the, that this issue is, is kind of front page news, uh, that it's kind of uh, being pushed as, as a norm in society, really reflects the way that the church has failed in its role, that, that the church has assumed a position of political influence um, that it was never meant to have. We were never meant to be that, as I said before, that overarching governing body. And Jesus even said, so he's, he talks about the leaven of the kingdom, but he said, beware of the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees, which is that representation of that kind of political spirit and the religious spirit. So the Pharisees were the kind of religious, you know, uh, governing body. Herod was the political governing body. So Jesus is like, just beware, because that can creep into, beware of the leaven of that. It means you're not going to all of a sudden, it just kind of creeps into even the church in that kind of way. And we start to think, well, we should, we should set the moral agenda of society and we should do this and, you know, and start kind of getting all up in arms about it. But the church doesn't have the central role in our society. Um, even this idea of a Christian nation, I don't even know what that is from God's perspective. Um, you can have a nation that's 99.99% Christian. It doesn't make it a Christian nation. It's just a group of people that live in a nation that happen to be followers of Jesus. But again, we've, there's, that's kind of more of a political thing. That's more of a, like a geographic. We're not citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven primarily. And we are ambassadors of heaven to the earth. And as ambassadors of heaven to the earth, again, when, if you're in a political position or that religious position, then you get to tell people and determine this is the moral um, guideline that you should follow as a people. But we can't expect people who aren't following Jesus, number one, and who don't have the Spirit of God, so therefore aren't able to follow Jesus, how can we expect them to follow Jesus? And if they were to do that out of political or religious pressure, then they're not doing it out of a place of freedom and that's not God's heart for a people. He wants, he's, he's a God that woos people. You know, he's a God that draws people to himself. And he wants people out of their freedom to say, I choose to follow Jesus. And because I choose to follow Jesus, it means I, I choose to walk in the ways of Jesus. And so when there's things in, in maybe in my life or in the culture's life that don't reflect the ways of Jesus, the first step is not to stop doing bad things, stop sinning. It's to say, do you want to follow Jesus? <laughs> Do you want to be like Jesus? Okay, well then there's some things in your life that need to be let go of. We good so far? Awesome. So we are not the political governing body as much as people might like to be. And it would almost seem like that would be easier just to be out. The government comes to the church and says, what's, what's the law? And the church says, it's this. And, uh, and then we kind of go along with that. The problem is, as we have had for generations, you get a whole lot of people who go by in the name of Jesus who look nothing like the person of Jesus, um, and that's devastating. Um, even in the Catholic Church, you know, in Rome, I, I flicked and saw the beginning of this, of a, like a TV drama about kind of the Pope and all this sort of stuff. Um, it wasn't interesting enough to keep watching it, but, uh, but it talked about essentially around the, the 1400s, and in that time, the Pope had the authority to, to um, appoint and unappoint kings, you know, like an incredible amount of, of authority in culture, which it was never meant to have. But anyway, that's a side point. 
Um, so we're not the political governing body, but we are the spiritual governing body. The ecclesia, the church, is a spiritual governing body in the earth. That's why when we, when we pray and we do intercession, we deal with principalities and powers and all of this sort of you know, territorial spirits, all of this kind of high-end heavenly realities, um, we, we, we do that from the low place. We do that from a place of servanthood. We don't do that from a place of, uh, of expectation that we should be able to have a voice. Now, again, as I said, the way that the political system in Australia is set up, that we do have a voice, and we do have a voice in the political realm. And, we, and that's not uh, because the church and state are mixed together. It's because people who follow Jesus are part of this society. But again, it's, not, it's, a, it's a privilege, not a right that we have. So whatever the outcome of the plebiscite, we'll still have the same role to play. We just carry on doing the same things that we always have. And the reality is that, you know, same-sex marriages, as, as, you know, in line with a whole lot of other things, aren't, in my opinion, I think uh, the church's opinion isn't the godly way to do things. Um, but that's like a whole raft of other things in society. <laughs> Homosexuality isn't God's design for humanity. You know, abortion isn't God's design, God's heart. Poverty isn't God's design or God's heart. You know, like there's, there's, a, there's a multitude of things. And we should be, again, interceding and speaking into where we have a place into those issues. Um, but, yeah. So we are not to primarily govern politically, but by shaping the culture with the values of the kingdom. And as I said before, uh, the fact that we're having this debate in our society is because the church has failed in its role to shape the culture around us to reflect the culture of heaven. And I think it's important, though, when it comes to a, a situation like this, and we can say, well, oh, well, you know, we're not in politics, we, we shouldn't have a say. Well, we do have a say, and we should have a say, because we have the opportunity. Um, but we also need to look at not the immediacy of the issue, but the legacy that it leaves. So we must look beyond the immediacy of the abate into the legacy that we'll leave and the standard that we'll set for future generations. So at the end of the day, um, if uh, homosexual same-sex couples enjoy the same legal freedoms uh, that heterosexual couples do, they, like there's in, when we talk about equality, there is equality there. It's just that when it comes to marriage, that they, that they can't do that. So if we talk, you know, legally, you know, all that sort of stuff, the same with de facto relationships, so you can have people, which again is sexual sin, to engage in sexual intercourse outside of the covenant of marriage, okay? So de facto relationships, homosexual relationships, from a biblical perspective, they're all sinful ways of, of living and behaving, yeah? And we've all, some of us here, we've, you know, because we do the heart journey, we deal with all of those things, we walk through them, we walk through repentance and forgiveness and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so when it comes to, and, and again, I guess, same-sex marriage is the debate, but really it comes back to even our perspective on, on homosexuality, so on same-sex attraction and, and couples. Um, one of the, I think, um, one of the reasons why it becomes so divisive and people are so passionate about it is because in our culture, our sexuality determines our identity. So the two things are, are tied together. Who, who I'm sexually attracted to, I then call myself that. So somebody would say, I mean, I don't go around generally introducing myself. Hi, I'm Brad. I'm heterosexual. Um, just letting you know. Um, 
But for, for somebody who, who would identify as, as a homosexual person, like that is so significantly part of their identity. Now, in some ways, that would be because they've had to fought, fight for that. Maybe they've gone through a, a season of, of a long term of hiddenness, and so there's, a, a real, there's an embracing and engaging with it. But at the end of the day, from my perspective, uh, from I think the church's perspective, your sexual preference does not determine your identity. Your identity is that where you're, you're created by God, uh, that you're beautiful, that you're loved by God, and there's a whole raft of other things that really shape your identity. But the problem that it gets so, um, it's so divisive and, and kind of heated in that argument is because if you were to say to someone, well, no, homosexuality is wrong, it's a sin, it's essentially saying you are wrong and you are a sin. That's not the case, and we can say as much as we want, oh, hate the sin, love the sinner. Um, it's not... Um, in the Bible, so don't quote it as scripture, um, but it's, you know, we can have that. But the reality is for somebody who identifies as, as a homosexual, they're like, no, no, you're telling me I'm wrong. Who I am is wrong because that, my sexuality, shapes my identity. So it's important that for us as we lovingly engage with people who would have a different sexual preference to us, that we understand that from your perspective, you might be, oh, well, you're just attracted to the same gender. For them, it's like, that's who I am. So again, in our sensitivity and, and, and engagement that we understand that that's that perspective. So it's become that for society, um, it's, you know, if homosexuality is wrong, then I am wrong. And you can imagine speaking that over people, even speaking that over a generation, that you are wrong. That's not, our, that's not the voice that we should be having. So... Um, it means then from the perspective of a, of a follower of Jesus, I can love somebody who isn't attracted sexually to the same gender that I am um, because for me, it's like, well, your, your identity is not tied to your sexuality. So I don't look at people and say, oh, that's a gay person or that's a, you know, because we use that kind of language. It's like, no, that's a person. And that person happens to be, when it comes to their sexual attraction, attracted to the same gender that they are doesn't diminish them as a person but we have generationally and we, we prayed before the gathering and we'll pray at the end again really and, and repenting on behalf of the church that, that it just has not sensitively de dealt with um, people who are same-sex attracted we, we haven't it's just been it's a sin it's wrong stop it okay now who knows that doesn't work in when it comes to any sin in your life it might work for a season it's like you're addicted to food that's sin stop it oh okay Wow, no one ever told me that before. You're addicted to porn, that's sin, stop it. Oh, thanks, Brad, you're, I'm free now because you just told me that I should stop doing that even though there's something inside of me that compels me to want to find refuge in that place. So just because I feel a particular way, it doesn't mean that it's a reality or that it determines my identity. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday and... Um, we were talking about feelings and emotions, you know, and, and it's, I think, again, for sometimes we, we really diminish our emotions and we diminish other people's emotions when they don't line up maybe with the truth of the Bible or, or whatever it might be. But it's really important that we give acknowledgement to what we feel, but we don't give it authority. <laughs> so we give it a voice, we give it a, we give it a place, we give it, you know, we, we listen, we hear, but it doesn't mean that that's, that becomes a, a thing of authority in our life when it comes to our belief in God. There's no point in me saying, if you say, well, I just don't believe that God is good. Well, the Bible says that He is, so you should believe it. You just need to declare it over yourself. 
So if my heart doesn't believe it, then there's something going on there that's caused me to have a belief system that is opposed to what the Bible or Scripture would say that my belief system should be. And I can go about every single day declaring it over me and having listened to sermon after sermon, but if that I have a belief system internally, that's going to determine my emotional state. It's going to determine how I think about particular things. And I believe, and again, this is uh, Brad Joss's opinion, um, but I believe that uh, the primary root for homosexuality is, is a longing for love that's fulfilled in a, in a distorted way. So it's a longing for love. This is a lot of the, the marriage equality debate is, you know, but, but people should have, you know, they want to express their love and they want to express their love through marriage. It's an expression of love. It's an engagement with love. So, but for somebody who is, who is a, a, attracted to the same gender, they're looking for love. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for connection. But there's something internally that determines why I would choose to be attracted to someone of the same gender or why I would choose, choose to be attracted to someone of a different gender. In there's something, there's a belief system internally that establishes that. And so when it comes then, really this is a question of when it comes to homosexuality, is homosexuality, um, is it, uh, I'm going to choose my language, like is it, um, is it normal in the sense of biologically? Is homosexuality biologically normal? Like physiologically how we are designed, whether through creation or evolution, whatever someone believes, what would you say? Is it normal or not normal? Not normal. Now, it might, for someone who is, who is homosexual, they say, well, it feels really, really normal. From as long as I can ever uh, remember in my life, that's how it's felt to me. And I can say, and I, I affirm that someone would have a feeling, a desire in their heart that I would, hey, it'd be much easier if, as a man if I was attracted to women, but I'm not. Uh, I find myself sexually and drawn to, to men in that kind of way. Okay, but biologically, if we look at it, it's not. And it's interesting that when it comes to Christianity and, and people who, are, who would not be, um, from a faith perspective, um, secular-minded uh, people would lean on science to debate the existence and reality of God. Okay, so whether it's through evolution and, and different things, it's like, well, I, I, I can't see it, so I can't believe it and all this sort of stuff. But it's interesting that science has been raised up to such a high kind of um, dominant place in our society that determines really what we think about life and every part of science except biology because biology would be incredibly clear they say oh, I know that somebody feels like they're attracted but biologically it makes no sense whatsoever so it, it's something where we have to kind of take that into account. And I know we, we can just kind of gloss over that, but the fact is that if it was normal, it means that it could coexist on its own. And that means we could say, well, if, if there were no heterosexual couples and we only had homosexual couples, that they would continue to exist and thrive as humanity. And the answer is within one generation, without, without science or without, um, you know, different forms of, of sexual intimacy, you know, if it was just strictly... Um, men with men and women with women sexually, uh, generation, and there's no humanity left. Okay. So we have to take that. Now, I understand that there's scientific ways that we can do that. There's in vitro fertilization and surrogacy and all of those sorts of things. So there's ways around it. There's loopholes in the system. But 
from, a, from that biologically normal place. And that should be significant enough for at least for us to ask the question. But there's a danger as we continue to, to take more steps towards normalization. It's also more steps towards kind of illogical thinking about how we are designed or created to be. Whether that's from a creation in terms of God created us or whether it's just from an evolutionary perspective. Um, it's important that it, we take that into account. Um, as far as I've read and studies this, there is no scientific evidence that um, determines homosexuality is uh, genetic, you know, part of your DNA. A lot of people would say, well, but, but if people are born that way, even Christians up there, but if someone's born that way, like how can we, you know, argue against that? Like clearly if they were born that way, then God created them that way. So then God made a mistake when he created them. Is that kind of what you're saying? So now, who here has done a larger house? Yeah? Who here has had any healing when it comes to uh, in utero wounding? Anyone? That's almost the same amount of people. I was just talking to someone before, and that's just from yesterday, sharing some, some revelation. And now this is what we understand from a larger house prayer ministry, but this is secular studies that they've done of the impact um, of babies even in the womb in utero wounding and trauma and all of that sort of stuff so because we believe that when you're created that your spirit comes alive and you start responding and reacting to the world around you so i would i believe that somebody can be born with homosexual desire but that can be birthed and, and come about in the womb as a reaction to lack, as a reaction to trauma, as a reaction to neglect, as a reaction to a perspective of what's going around them in the world. So it's like, well, absolutely, yeah, you might say, uh, someone might say, from a child, from my earliest memory, that's just what I knew. Or when it comes to, I just, I'm a um, biologically male in terms of my DNA, my physical makeup, and yet I feel like I'm a girl. Yeah, and I'd say, absolutely, I can, and I affirm that that's how you feel, but that could be rooted in a, in a womb, in utero trauma. So we can't just stop it there and say, well, if that's, you know, how can we argue with that? Well, no, again, we're not arguing with it. And we're not trying to convince somebody that they're wrong. You know, Danny Silk says, you know, you can't work on someone's problem more than they're willing to work on it, you know. So again, as the church, there's no point in you walking around saying, you're wrong and you're a sinner and all this sort of stuff to people because, number one, they don't care. The other thing is, don't quote the Bible to people who don't believe the Bible. It's like, you know, saying, well, you know, marriage between a man and a woman, it's in the Bible. And, uh, and again, the danger is that so is polygamy and, <laughs> and other things, you know, in the Bible as well. A New Testament perspective is, you know, one man, one woman. Um, but, again, you quote that. The Bible has no authority in secular society. So using it as a weapon to win an argument is futile, point one. Point two, just stop having arguments with people. Like, Yeah. All right, that's an easy, easy step. Love people, and if you are invited into somebody's journey, that's when you might get the opportunity to talk about their childhood, to talk about their family life, to talk about those things that I would believe have actually shaped who they believe themselves to be. Now, people, we don't do the heart journey normally, in, particularly in society, even in the church. We don't look at our, our internal belief systems. We think about, well, what do I think and what do I feel what does the interface of my life say about who I am? And we just go by that. Well, I feel this way. That must be my reality. That must be what it is. It's like, yeah, but maybe you feel that way because of a reason. And maybe that reason is actually a, a trauma or a wound 
or, or an inner vow that you made, a bitter judgment, all of that sort of stuff that we've learned. So we are responding to life, and that response can determine how, how we view ourselves as adults. So the reality is from a, um, and this doesn't mean that uh, homosexual people would have no voice in society. They have equal voice as anybody else would. But it is a m minority in society that's really dominating um, the, the political realm at the moment, uh, media and all of that sort of stuff. It's, but it needs to be recognized that it is, it's, a, it's a minority grouping of people. Um, for, for a long time, there was this almost like this promotion, like there's all of these people that would um, recognize themselves as being homosexual. It's just not, it's not actually the case um, statistically, but something to take into account. But I do think there's something of when we therefore start to normalize a minority perspective on sexuality. And as we, the more that we start to normalize that, as generations go through, then we, f then we fail to ask the question of, well, well, is this the right thing? And if I'm, if I'm like, well, just, it's okay, you go and be homosexual and I'll go and be heterosexual and you believe your thing and I believe my thing. And, and we should, there's a freedom for people to do that. But for me, I'm like, if somebody's in brokenness and pain and trauma, my heart is to, is to set them free and to, and to get them healed. If they don't see it, then that's not, it's not my point to be, no, you, you need to realize you're wrong. Feels right to me. No, no, well, it's wrong. And, and let me convince you that everything that you believe about yourself is absolutely wrong. Uh, again, uh, I wouldn't receive that, <laughs> um, you know, in, in any way. But so, uh, again, it's important how we engage with people. Love the people that are in your life. And if you have people in your life that, ha that have homosexual attraction, again, I don't say, I don't even, I'm not even going to use the words, they, they struggle with homosexuality. Most, a lot of homosexual people, don't, they don't struggle with it. Yeah, they're embraced completely free. Like, we struggle with it. Um, but again, we should be saying, hey, is that an issue for you? No, I'm totally fine. So, okay, well, there's no open door there for, for conversation. But it might be, if, because you love somebody... And again, I'm like, if you're a guy and you've got homosexual friends, love on them. Don't, you know, you're not going to get infected in some way. It's not a disease. Like, you know, s love on people. Because for me, I think that particularly when it comes to homosexual men, Brad Joss's perspective is that fatherlessness has had an incredible impact on men growing up, longing for intimacy with men because they haven't received the intimacy, pure, godly intimacy that they should have received as children. Okay. Again, we can argue that point on fire. Again, I'm not going to convince somebody who doesn't believe that. Um, that's, not, that's not my place to, to, to do so unless I'm invited into a relationship. But if I was, that would be the kind of conversation that I would have. Because I've, I've journeyed with people who, are, who have same-sex attraction, and it's a struggle because they're a follower of Jesus. But when we get to some of those root issues, that's where the longing exists. It's a longing for love and affirmation from my dad, and I didn't receive it. And again, just because a, a, a boy grows up without a father doesn't mean that he automatically, um, you know, desires men, you know, sexually and that sort of thing. But that can be a root. And it's the role of fathers to determine the identity of their children, to speak into that, to call it forth. 
Um, and again, so as we have in a fatherless society, in many ways. I know um, Amy's done uh, some missionary work in Thailand uh, and with the, um, the ladyboy culture over there. And a lot of that, they believe, is birthed out of the fact that uh, fathers generally will work away. So when the children are young, the dads go off and they work and they spend most of their time away from the home. So these boys grow up, but you imagine they grow up and then they want to become women. Why? So that they're desired by men. Because they were never desired by their father. They never had healthy intimacy that they're designed to have so it leads to a trauma of unmet need but that trauma becomes part of their identity and they live out of that place and it becomes normalized so the more that we normalize it the less opportunity we have to engage with the brokenness of it the illogical becomes logical and then we cease to question it you can imagine in a few generations time and you'll have kids that grow up and it's like you know they're, they're in their teenage years uh, you know, their, their hormones are going crazy. They're wanting to become sexually explorative. And then they, they engage in a way, you know, they're drunk at a party. It's just something happens and they start to think, well, that must mean I'm gay. Well, well, maybe, or maybe you just need a dad. And going back to my point, that's the thing in terms of that healing. If, if you're a man, you've got homosexual males, like hug them, love on them, speak destiny over them, call out their, you know, the, the glory in them. Sp love and you know, affirmation speaking into that place so again um, when it comes to this father thing the question is when it comes to same-sex marriage how does it affect the family structure now we know that um, homosexual couples can adopt children uh, which again the argument for that is low because adoption in Australia is very very low what's the number does anyone know the number per year So about five to seven children in Western Australia and s between six and nine children per year get adopted in Australia. Yeah, uh, roughly around that number. So maybe you would say less than 20 in Australia, less than 20. Now there's a whole lot of kids who uh, are in foster care, so that's primarily the, the mode is, is foster care. Uh, I don't understand why um, we have uh, low um, numbers of adoption rates. I, I was speaking to a, a local kind of government official well he's federal but um, based in Perth and uh, and I will they were talking about the uh, abortion uh, rate so I think something like 15,000 uh, children per year uh, are aborted in in Australia and uh, and for me I think 15,000 babies are aborted and yet only 20 children are adopted and yet there's a whole lot of families who would love to adopt a child and I'm like maybe that rate would drop if this rate increased because maybe mums would have the choice to say, well, I can't raise this child, and, and yet I, but I could give it to a family that would love them from birth and, and give them life and a future and all of those things. But that's a totally different um, conversation. Um, so again, we know that, well, that children can grow up in those different environments, but, uh, but promoting and affirming same-sex marriage promotes a fatherless or a motherless family structure as the norm and as, as okay. Now, uh, there's a number of uh, studies that have been done, the effects of fatherlessness, as I said, in Thailand. I know even in the UK, with a lot of the, the crime and teenage crime and all that sort of stuff that happens, when you look there, often when you see that kind of brokenness in a society, fatherlessness is tied to that. High crime rights and all of those things, they're linked together. Um, you know, I, I would often say to people that um, when it comes to a, a boy growing up in a family without a father, and if that becomes uh, 
brokenness and distortion that they'll often either tend towards being gay or joining a gang. Because both of those places then give them the malaffirmation that they've longed for their entire life. I don't recommend saying that to a gang member. Um, unless you're invited into that conversation. So again, um, we are single mums in this room. We love single mums. Uh, if you're a, a, a male in this room, uh, you also have a role to help to raise a community, uh, not just your own children or your own, you know, being a brother and a sister and a father. If you're a, if you're a granddad, there's, there's kids here who, for whatever circumstance, whether that's divorce or death or other reasons, uh, don't have a dad in the home. Um, you have a role in the church to love them to life, to speak destiny and life over them to pour into them, to give them hugs and healthy, life-giving affirmation and healthy, life-giving physical touch and all of those things that they long for. So, again, this is not a, um, it's not here to discriminate against that or anything like that, but it's, it's important that we understand that the best outcome for a child is to be raised in a home with a mother and a father and not just the physical bodies that are there, but that are also then healthily and interactively engaged with their children. So not just, well, I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a father, I stand in the corner and provide food and, you know, shelter. It's like, well, no, I've got to engage with my children as well and come to life, which is why we deal with trying to raise up men and who, who are awakened in the spirit and who understand their role as fathers and all of that sort of stuff. So we understand, well, that's the, the best outcome. So any outcome outside of that is not the best for children. But again, we're not going to be promoting that so essentially it's saying, well, let's just promote um, single-parent families. Let's go out there and say, no, we, we're all for that. Yeah, more. We need more single-parent families. We need more children growing up in families without both uh, a male and a female parent. Okay? Well, we're not going to say that because we know it's not the best outcome. And again, and no, it's no shame on those who happen to find themselves in that circumstance, but to say and to put a vote forward for... Um, homosexual marriage, then and, and, and we're just saying that that family structure, we're for that. But we're making a decision for a generation. We're making a decision on behalf of children to say, you're not going to have the option of growing up with a mum and a dad. So we're taking away the right of a child to grow up with a mother and a father. We also take away the responsibility of biological parents to raise the children that they create. So we take away, so uh, to say a, f uh, a male then um, uh, is engaged, like uh, so lesbian couple and, the, and a male says, well, I'll, I'll donate my sperm so you can have a baby and that sort of stuff. And where's he? Not present in that place. Okay. So he's now, we're taking away that responsibility. It's like, no, but you created that child. You, you have a responsibility to help raise that child. Now, if it's uh, you know, a homosexual couple and then using a surrogate woman, she has a, a role to play and a responsibility to raise that child. And there's a danger then that we diminish the significance of children and we can make them into a commodity. So somebody says, well, I, I want a baby. Well, if, you're, if, if I'm a man, I'm in, I'm in a, a relationship with another man, I, I can't have a baby. If, if there's a woman who's in a relationship, a sexual relationship with another woman, you can't have a baby. Now, you might desire one, but, but there's no biological way that you can have one naturally in that relationship. 
So then you have to go outside of that, which is a distortion then of, of, of what is normal. But then it becomes something, well, but I want a baby. So then it kind of like a child becomes a commodity that has to get created somewhere else and then brought into that family. To me, that's just like we have to ask those sorts of questions as to what we do. We can find all the loopholes we want to make it happen. But if that's not the the best thing for a child, then for me, I feel like, well, if I, because I have a voice and an opportunity to have a voice, I want to speak up and say, well, I'm not for choosing on behalf of a child for them to grow up in in a family without a mum and a dad. Because I know the significance of that. children growing up without one parent then carries the potential to increase the number of people who would then consider themselves homosexual. So we say then a child grows up and a, and a, a boy grows up with two mums and no dad longing for, I don't know if I, I posted a video of a, of a woman who grew up in a, in a family with two mums and she shared very openly like I longed for my father. She knew and because a child will have to at some point come to the realisation that Mum and mum did not create me on their own. So I don't belong to one of these people. Okay, they're going to have to go through the trauma of that wounding. But then there's somebody else that actually was part of creating me, and yet you've chosen to exclude them from my life. So then the child grows up longing for a father. What happens then? He comes into teenage years, and he's still longing for, for that male affirmation and affection and physical touch. And then potentially he finds it in a homosexual relationship so that it, it kind of propagates that outcome. So we have to ask the question, where does it end? And I know we can take it off into, you know, fanciful places, which I don't think it will necessarily go. But, but when we, if we affirm same-sex marriage, then what else should we affirm based on the reason for affirming that, that union? So if we were to publicly endorse homosexuality as a normal and healthy lifestyle choice, then what is there to prohibit other forms of relationship? But if it says, well, I love, I'm a man, I love another man, I should be able to marry like a man and a woman do. We love each other the same way. We're committed to one another. We want to live in a committed relationship. It's like, okay, fine. We say, okay, yes to you. Okay, so now I'm a man and I love uh, this woman and she's my wife because we can get legally married. But I also love this woman And my wife loves this woman as well. So we love each other and we want to express our love, the three of us together, in marriage. So surely we should be able to marry. So it's called polygamy. And it's like, well then, and actually, I just love those two. I love that one and that one and that one as well. And so I'm thinking the more the merrier, one for each day of the week. Um, You know, so, you know, I've got... Monday wife and Tuesday wife, but I'm looking for Wednesday wife now and Thursday wife. And sh- but surely, if the standard is, but we love each other and we're committed to one another, who can stand in the way of love? Well, so okay, well, that's a good point. Well, what if it's like, but I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a male and I love this woman, but she's only, she's only 12. But I love her and, and she loves me and we're, we're can, we just want to express our love to one another. Sure, who can stand in the way of, of us expressing our love to one another? You see, you know, if that's the stand, if that's the, the driving force is an expression of love, then uh, like how could we then say, well, if we say yes to that, it's like, you know, it's like when you've got kids. Well, if I say yes to the bro- your brother, then I have to say yes to your sister as well. You know, we set a standard of what determines um, 
what marriage should be and who it should be between. So again, I'm not saying that it's going to make all of these people all of a sudden become pedophiles or all of a sudden become polygamists, but for people who would identify as that already, but we would stand there as a sign and say, oh, that's kids, oh, that's disgusting. Well, why? Biologically, it's actually more normal than homosexuality. I'm in no way affirming it. I make that very, very clear. If anyone's editing this video and taking snapshots, like it's, you know, we understand that. But there's something, you're opening up the door for an argument for a whole lot of other orientations. For a child to grow up, again, with, with, um, with gender identity issues and saying, well, I'm, I'm physically a boy, I'm, you know, biologically, physiological, all that sort of stuff, but I feel like a girl. So, okay, and that's, wh- we want to engage and say, man, I, I affirm how you feel. But what's underneath that feeling that makes you feel that way? We have to keep having that conversation. Lovingly having that conversation. Just putting the, the wrong label on something, that closes the door to conversation. That closes the door to that opportunity to minister lovingly to somebody. So how can we, as the church, pray and intercede and love our society well? So again, I'm not telling you how to vote in this postal vote thing. You have absolute freedom to vote. I'm not going to judge you. I probably wouldn't even know. I'm not going to check your mail um, when you're down the post office, you know. So, again, and I'm not trying to even convince you. I'm just saying I feel like we need to be responsible because you're going to get bombarded by all of the other perspectives in the media, which is tended towards um, same-sex marriage. There is a bias um, in the media for that, a very, very clear bias. Um, You might even know someone. Well, I grew up um, with two mums or two dads, and I'm okay. Um, That's... that's, um, it's not necessarily the case. It's like, well, I'm okay. Um, I, you know, I'm an alcoholic and uh, and I eat too much and I'm this. You know, I'm trapped in all of these false refuges, but I'm okay. Um, you know, so we, again, we need to engage with people, but we also need to engage with people who actually want to choose to to live that way. But I I, I would say we need to pray for opportunities to lovingly engage with people that have homosexual attraction and for open doors for healing. Now, again, if I looked at someone, someone might could come into the church and be like, yeah, I'm addicted to drugs, but I love it. I've got no problem with it. And it's like, okay, well, I love you and, uh, and, and we'll pray for you, but I, I don't believe that drug addiction is right, is, is God's way for you. And I would believe that it's coming out of a place of brokenness. So can we have a conversation about that? You know, like it's, it's anything like that. So it's important that we don't as well back down and say, well, I'm not going to say anything or just affirm because I'm afraid that it will upset them or, or hurt their feelings. If you're in relationship with someone and that doorway is open for conversation, then have it. Um, but understand that it might have a pushback that's stronger than, uh, than something else. Uh, pray for wisdom for our government. And again, to think generationally um, and, and the legacy that we're leaving, not just in the immediacy of the kind of opinion polls and that sort of thing. Um, and also pray against the strongholds and high demonic governing forces that are seeking to bring about the opposite culture of heaven. You know, that's our role is, 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 is yeah, ninjas, spiritual ninjas, you know, but just praying into those things and saying, and we're not going to be out picketing on the streets and, and doing all that sort of nonsense and, and hate in that kind of way, but it's because we love that we'd want that outcome. 
Not because we say, well, that's God's standard, and I love God's standard, so I'm going to make sure everyone follows God's standard. God doesn't want you to follow a standard because he loves his standard. God wants you to follow a standard because he loves you. And he says, and this is the, right, this is the best way to live because I designed you to live this way. But God's not all about his law. God's not all about, well, you just need to follow scripture. That's all I care about. I don't love you. I just want you to do what I've told you to do. But again, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's the Lord's thing. Love. It starts with love. And out of that place of love, you say, yes, Jesus, I, I want to I do that thing. I don't, I, well, I don't want to do it, but I know it's for me, so I'm going to figure out why I don't want to do it. 